saving it. Save it. That's going to be the opener for the episode. I love Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> and that was Dylan Miller telling how much she loves Jeffrey Combs. That's I the end of the episode. Him. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Welcome back. It's the first of the month, and it's time for another installment of Get Trekked, brought to you by KBOO Portland. We sat down with our friends Dylan and Ryan to talk about the Deep Space Nine documentary, Star Trek Into Darkness, and some other little things. Join us, won't you? So, welcome back. Welcome back to Get Trekked. I'm Josette Detour. That's my co-host. Good dive, Ali. And in the studio we have... Ryan. We have Ryan back again. And yeah. hi, I'm Dylan Miller. That is Dylan Miller, the famous, the infamous Dylan Miller. Um, yeah, it's Thanksgiving. Why not just talk about Star Trek for several hours? Yeah. Me and Ryan are already locals at the radio station, but okay. you are from Josie. I am. F- I'm from Josie. You're from Josie. I'm from Josie. Oh, Josie, Alabama. Yeah. Oh man, were you there I'm for sorry. all the murders? I can't say. Oh. <laughs> I'm not allowed to disclose that information. I'm from the Bay Area, and Dylan is... Uh, I'm from Seattle, but I currently live in New York City. New York. Yeah, I'm getting a master's over there in... Uh, it's hard to explain, but it's about Star Trek. <laughs> uh, it's a, a queer reading of uh, the women of Star Trek in terms of like gender, non-normativity... Uh, I'm talking a lot about the Trill, obviously, because uh, Jedzia and Ezri embody a lot of these very... Because they're past lives, you know, they have a lot of... Uh, some of the way they talk to people, you know, old man is the nickname. They have a lot of this, like, gender-weird baggage from that. And then I'm also doing my favorite one that I've got uh, is... I'm talking about Seven, because Seven spent all of puberty with the Borg, so it doesn't make a lot of sense that she would have a fully formed concept of her own gender and sexuality. Yes. And then she is taught gender and sexuality by a computer program. Some creepy bald hologram. Mm-hmm. A computer program of a straight dude. So she's being quite literally socialized by, you know, just a, a conglomeration of what is expected of her. So I'm really glad you're doing that because a lot of the time I see people kind of talking about, oh, Seven of Nine is so sexy. And it just, it creeps me out. I see people shipping her with Janeway and things. And in my mind, she's she's a kid. She was kidnapped when she was a kid and she didn't think about those things because she was a Borg. And it just feels like, it feels inappropriate. It falls very much into the born sexy yesterday thing, where yeah, it's like, exactly. oh, it's a fu- full, fully adult woman, but she doesn't really know how to do anything, so you get to teach her. And mm-hmm. it's, like, Ooh. it's like, no, leave her alone. Please. I just found out about that trip. What's the born sexy yesterday? Oh, really? So, oh, uh, it's the tendency in a lot of science fiction to have kind of either the, like, fully adult, like, robot or AI that doesn't have any socialization yet, or uh, the, uh, what's that one movie? It was written about the orange-haired one. 
The Fifth, Fifth Element. Element. Fifth Element. It was written Jinx. about that, that oh, woman. That's maybe the original. Mannequin. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I think, the first, uh, the invention of that trope was someone writing about that. Where it's like, oh, she doesn't know. She does like all these inappropriate kind of sexual things, but she doesn't know. She's totally innocent. So you, it's, it's just very... It's very easy. This yeah. may or may not surprise people, but there's a lot of tropes relating to terrible treatment of women. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is news to me. <laughs> you heard oh it here my first. God. <laughs> Did everyone hear that? Oh. Um, One that I just found out about recently was Sexy Lamp. Sexy, sexy Lamp. Yes. It's basically you, where you could just replace someone with the sexy lamp from a Christmas story and it wouldn't make any difference <laughs> to the plot at all. I want I someone to re edit a movie. With that, just cut the character out of the actual shot and just put the lamp in it. <laughs> That'd be good. What what examples did they give? Oh, it was for comics and stories that a lot of people probably haven't read. But it's the kind of thing where there's a woman and she might be strong and she might be empowered, but she contributes absolutely nothing to the plot. And she's probably just there because the director has a thing for strong women. So sort of like a manic pixie dream girl, but like not quirky, but more like... <laughs> Toss <laughs> do, do you need some water over there? <laughs> I might do. Okay. Yeah. So, speaking of New York, you went to the new Star Trek Deep Space Nine documentary premiere. I did. I went to the New York premiere with my friend uh, Christine. It was All a lot right. of fun. Uh, Ira was there, obviously. In the Ira Baird, yes, the showrunner Bear. of Deep Space Nine. Uh, who else showed up? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, J.G. Hertzler, General Martok was there uh, with his wife. They're very lovely people. Um, uh, uh, Neelix from Voyager? Ethan, <laughs> Ethan Phillips was there for some reason? Oh, did you talk to Ethan Phillips? I didn't talk to him specifically, but he told a lot of the... If you've ever been to Vegas, uh, to the Vegas con, he does a lot of the jokes during the final night. So he did some of those jokes for us as the warm-up. <laughs> um, and uh, the woman who plays Jennifer Sisko was there as well. I did not speak to her, but uh, I saw her aunt, and I was like, oh, cool. Okay. All right, yeah, nice. Uh, can you tell us anything about it? I heard they swore you to secrecy about yes, some stuff. Yes, I don't want to spoil you guys on it. Oh, just um, spoil it, whatever. Um, <laughs> no, I told her not to yes, because no, we haven't seen it. None of us have seen it. I want to know. But I think, you know, if you can be... Subtle. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do my best not to overstep anything. Um, On a scale of good to fantastic, how was it? I really enjoyed it as a film. I thought they did a really good job using... And I don't think this is spoilers because I think it's pretty obvious from a lot of the promotional stuff. Right. They did a really good job using Andy Robinson as kind of the, like, not the narrator, but, like, bookending, like, sections of it. Like the guide, sort yes, of. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, right off the bat... Uh, HD footage of Deep Space Nine made me cry immediately. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it was very emotional to see it that beautiful. Obviously, the show was always wonderful and amazing, but um, God, I wish that we could get full remastered Deep Space Nine, even mm. though we never will. In my heart of hearts. Ah, so. There's a campaign you can contribute to on their website Ooh. still. Oh, is it still up? Yeah, I donated to it like a month ago. It's like $50. That. So Please if anybody has $50 to spare. Or if you have a several million dollars and you really like Deep Space Nine, maybe give it to Ira Barry. I'm begging you. There was no HD way you. Yeah. <laughs> that was all I wanted. Yeah. Sorry I interrupted you, Ryan. Oh, no, it's fine. So I've heard that there's a twist ending and that uh, it turns out there's no Deep Space Nine at all. It's all gaslighting and misremembering Babylon 5. Can you oh. confirm or deny? Oh, well, I think maybe they pulled some Men in Black shit on me because I don't remember 
I, I don't remember it being Babylon 5 the whole time. Mm. No, I see you're in they on it too. Her. Maybe that's just because I never finished <laughs> Babylon 5. I'm sorry to admit. We're shaming you. Mm. This is turning into a shaming Dylan show now. So well, you can um, shame me because I haven't seen Babylon 5. Oh my god. I'm leaving. I'm done. Sorry, guys. I know. Um, All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed our show, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really. It was really fun to see the process that the writers, because they, they write the uh, outline for the first episode of Imaginary Season 8, like, as if all that time had passed and we're just now coming back to it. And it was really fun to see their process and how they worked together to come up with these plots and these ideas. Um, are I, you allowed to tell us, like, the setup of, like, what is this? What are we talking about? It's the Deep Space Nine documentary. You just show up to a movie theater and they... Are showing slideshows or what is going on? Paint a picture for me. Break down just the, the whole experience. Something. Okay, well, uh, we showed up. It was in Midtown, so lots of people. Times Square, you know. Total total crowded disaster that no self, self-respecting self New Yorker goes to. But um, <laughs> we got in a big line, and then we got to come into this movie theater. Uh, there was a little table. There's a really big a, like banner sign that had Cisco on it, and I was very excited. I'll show you guys a picture I took with that. Um, we just checked off our names on the little list because we'd RSVP'd that week. We went up like four flights of stairs and there were other sh- movies still at this theater where they had just gotten one theater in a larger theater. So tons of people just around seeing their movies and we're like meandering through. We're like, which way do we, where, <laughs> what theater are we trying to get to? Follow the nerds. Exactly. Yeah, uh, we all got in our seats. I had... I gave away my spare ticket to somebody who lived in the area, so he had saved me a seat, uh, which turned out to be right behind where Ethan Phillips and J.G. Hertzler were sitting. So I was like, Ah, hello, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, Ira came up, said some stuff uh, about just the stuff he said at most conventions, you know, about the process of making the documentary and how he thought it was going to be like, you know, just a little side project for him, but it really consumed all this... uh, all of his waking moments and became his like primary project that he was working on. Um, and then he brought Ethan Phillips up to tell his jokes. Uh, and then we watched it and it uh, opened up with very beautiful HD shot of... Uh, like reconstructed Deep Space Nine scenes or... yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> since it's... The, whatever, it's the first shot. It starts with, a, with one of the big defiant battles in HD and it's really beautiful. And I started crying like immediately. Hmm. Uh, uh, and so then... It begins, it kind of goes through, it doesn't start the season eight uh, writing process thing right away. It goes through a couple other things. Uh, It had pretty much everybody who was anybody on Deep Space Nine in it. Like, nearly all of the, like, really major supporting cast, you know. Jeffrey Combs, J.G. Hertzler, and uh, Bob O'Reilly were there in it, and... Was it Armin Shimmerman? Yeah, he yeah. was He was in it. Uh, all the Ferengi, all three of them. They didn't get Avery at all? Avery uh, does appear in a couple of uh, brief... <gasps> did anybody... Did you lose your mind? Like, uh, it was very exciting, yeah, because there was so much talk of him not being in it. It was super cool to be like, there he is! Um... Was it new? Like, was it clearly something they had recorded within the past few years or something? Or was it an older interview? I I, I thought it was new. It, nothing, I, it was nothing I had ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was not, it was definitely not filmed in the same, like, time and place the other interviews. You know, it wasn't the same setup. Right. So it was, pro- it was maybe something outside of that. But 
it felt like it was just for this, but I could be wrong about that, so I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna stake my, uh, stake my reputation on it. But um, yeah, it was great. They talked about, I thought it was really fun. They talked a little bit about uh, Avery as a director too, you know, because obviously right. he was Cisco, and it was very, very. He was a very, he was, I mean, he was the main character. He's the center, he's the linchpin of the story, but uh, he is so important beyond his role as Cisco because he was, like, such a good director, and he, and the captain of any of the shows is really the center of the, of the show's, like, vibe, you know? They talk right. about that all the time. Like, whoever the captain is, they're going to set the mood for the entire cast. And so there, there was so much about it, just him in all of the roles that he played and everything that he did for everybody. Um, and the little sneak preview they played in Vegas about it. I guess I'm probably allowed to talk about that one because they played yeah. it in Vegas already. Yeah. But uh, it's talking about him uh, and uh, and Jake and how he says that his the greatest adventure he went on during Deep Space Nine was raising Jake, and that made me cry in Vegas, and it made me cry <laughs> it made me cry again at the screening in New York. Um, and it was just stuff like that, you know. It was very personal about about the the impact that he had on everybody. And uh, right, yeah. So that was great. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything about the season eight writing stuff. <laughs> I feel I feel really bad. You were um, if we can get in trouble in our second episode for spoiling the Deep Space Nine, <laughs> we'd be done. Okay, here's 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 one thing I will ask about it because uh-huh. you were very opinionated before we began recording about it. Could you, without saying anything, give me like a few words of what you thought about it? Just like don't nothing in context. Just like because the way you started talking about it, like you didn't spoil anything, but you said you were. Unsatisfied. Um, I think, especially given some of the things they addressed about Deep Space Nine's flaws in the documentary, I thought it was weird that they took some of the stuff the way they did. Right. Some of the characters where they would where, where they were set up at the end of season seven was not satisfying to me to begin with, and I was like, oh, they can fix that. They can be like, oh, that didn't work out. Like that's not something that continued on, and they just didn't go that way. They let it stay how it was. Right. Um, but. I don't. I don't write Star Trek. I'm mm-hmm. not. Well, I'm not allowed to tell them what that, they're doing. A lot but. of the things that we may disagree with. There's some weird ass people out there who like it. Very true. And you gotta just keep going with the flow. You can't just be like, oh, this little tiny wrong chunk of fans are wrong, and we have to fix this. You just kind of got it. Yeah, I'll <laughs> save that for my blog. Yeah. No, it's fine. Violent um, blogging. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, they didn't. There's no secret new Wei Yoon clone that appears in season eight, so it's not worth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm returning so why my bother? DVD. Oh, yeah. I don't... What? Hmm. What's the point? If Jeffrey Coombs is not in it, Coombs. what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you guys think of the like just the prospect of this documentary? I just learned about it today. Did you? I'm actually? super excited. Really? Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, not the only Trek fan I've met who didn't know there was going to be a documentary about it. it the, the, it's hard because the publicity that they have for this documentary is so small in comparison. It's just the social media because they, they don't there. have CBS on their side because you know CBS hates Deep Space Nine. Like that's not even a joke. Like no, they very not. clearly had it against the show, and we all probably know why. It, like because you know it was diverse. And it was forward thinking, and those are some things that CBS was just like. They talk a little of. bit about that in the documentary about the way that the way that they're very forward thinking in a lot of ways. They talked a little bit about like because Deep Space Nine had a lot more double or triple feature episodes that were all one kind of big plot, and they were the first Star Trek to really go that direction. 
And so it made it hard, because this was before Netflix, so you had to tune in, and they'd been pushed to, like, a weird time slot, and so it just wasn't appreciated in its time. And it's really the era of streaming that has brought Deep Space Nine the fame and fortune that it deserved. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, so, it, you know. I, but but again, I think, but I guess I haven't said that yet to you guys, but um, I think it was good for Deep Space Nine to be kind of the weird middle child, because it was better that way because nobody was breathing down their necks about doing the right... Everybody was concentrating on Voyager, which they were using to sell a whole new network, I think. Yes, they were. like that. And so, yeah, everybody... I think Iris said this before in interviews. Everybody like turned their attention to that, and they were just like, "Well, let's you just do what we want." Never on went uh, alone. Yeah, it was yeah. either on with Next Gen or it was on with Voyager. Mm-hmm. But that also meant they got to do more interesting things. So I, I'm glad for it. I'm not fussy that it wasn't appreciated then. They weren't trying initially, but everything that UPN put out in its uh, first season on the air just failed horribly. <laughs> Give like, us an example. Well, there was this, uh, oh man, I don't even remember the name, but it was a CG animated sitcom type one with video game characters. There were actually two video game shows. The other one had Christopher Lloyd, where a guy programmed all of the people that he hated into uh, a video game as villains that he had to get around, and they all came to life. Uh, How do I not know about this? <laughs> I've heard of this. <laughs> Oh, uh, there were other ones like Homeboys in Outer Space. Ah, yeah. How could that fail? <laughs> Early UPN was a complete disaster, and Voyager was the only thing they had in their entire show and their entire channel that went more than like four seasons. So uh, after the first season, they realize it's the only hit that they've got. So they put all their marketing power behind it, and that's why uh, we don't have Cass anymore. Mm. Among it, a couple other reasons. Isn't yep. it being on UPN the reason that Rock appears on an episode of Voyager? Yes, because okay. yeah. uh, <laughs> w- I don't remember if this was before or after the WWF to WWE transition, but they were on the same network for uh, their That's what I, thought, I yeah. love yeah. that episode. It's one of my favorite Voyager episodes. I'm sorry. <laughs> doesn't he like... <laughs> no, it's on a fight. Was it Harry the only Kim one with Jeff on it? He yeah. fights. No, he fights 7 and 9. <laughs> he fights a goofy muscle. Yeah. Yes. God, that was such okay. a good... They just put him in Star Trek time. Voyager is such a blur. It's got Jeffrey Combs. It's got The Rock. It's got it's seven got of seven nine kicking ass. Rock. Oh my god! There's good nothing episode. wrong with that episode. It's beautiful. Uh, the only good episode of Voyager is that an exaggeration? No, I don't think so. I also I mean, like Threshold. Uh... Oh, uh... how could I forget that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, go- I'm gonna. Mm. Sorry, I left really well. It's okay. Um, I'm gonna Edit lose you. I'm gonna lose your lose you all your listeners. Talking about <laughs> like this bitch. Yeah. <laughs> threshold no, is what that one episode of TNG. Was the devolution one mm. where Barkley becomes a Spider Man? I've never hated a TNG episode more than that episode. It was even so when the cat so... randomly becomes a lizard for a second. Like, it's why an did an it... iguana? Do you it's an iguana. That image of Deanna slowly turning into like a gecko with... that was cool. No, oh. that was so cool. I loved it. All right, fight, fight, she's got fight. a random hot tub in her room that she's just like clawing her way out of. Like, why not? I've never wanted to throw up watching Star Trek, but I was really close. I was like, this I is love the bad episodes. So no, they're fun, but like that was the one where I was like, oh my god, this. It just it. At, at that moment, it just made me mad. I was like, I don't want to sit through this. I'm gonna sit through it. Fuck, I hate this. Uh, when will it be over? 
thank God. And, and mm, anyway. But uh, with my non-Trek watching too much friends, I generally recommend that they not watch season seven all the way through. Of like, TNG? Yes. Do you have them watch the last two, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. There's just like five in there. But I haven't watched yeah. Next Gen in years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's a fun little question. We'll go around the table. Mm-hmm. What is everybody's favorite Deep Space Nine episode? Oh. I For was... what mood? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll say... Okay. Fuck. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay. I mean... it, what's your sad episode? What's your happy episode? And no, sad and happy episodes, one each. How about that? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I, for sad episodes, I'd probably have to go with the visitor because. Oh uh, God! Oh, I was gonna say the <laughs> same thing. Oh, so I beat hard. you to it. <laughs> God damn it, Ryan! That one is so close to rejoined that on the rewatch, I ended up watching them both in one night, and I was like, "This was not a good idea." <laughs> they're so they're too close together. It's such a great one. Oh, the visitors. Really Remind good. me what happens in it, because like I it's, know it's, it's the, the one, one where... where Jake grows up and his dad oh. and Cisco is like tied to him, so every once in a while he reappears. It's got Tony Todd, who is a bunch of other things too, oh God, even in Star Trek. Andy Robinson actually directed that episode, and his daughter was the chick that. Oh no, wait, that's a different one, isn't oh. it? It's no. a different one. Yeah, that's a different one. <laughs> okay, no, I know. I'm editing that out. Yeah, okay. nobody knows. Okay, okay. That's okay. They'll know. They'll know. <laughs> It's um, the one where Candyman tried to save his dad. Oh, oh right, that is the guy. <laughs> and a uh, fun one, I'd say Magnificent Ferengi. Mm. Oh, I was just rewatching that one with my brother, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that one is a hell of an episode. What about you, Dylan? Ferengi hijinks episodes are always good, I think. Um, I'm a real big fan of Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite. Mm. I think it's really, um, it's really, it's really cute. Uh, it lets, like, the whole crew come and support Cisco, you know, in this thing that he really cares about, you know. Uh, yeah. It's, and, it, and, and, and Worf has every good line you could ever want from him. I like DS9 teaching us that uh, that Vulcans can be irrationally racist and horrible serial killers, too. Mm-hmm. Somebody, yeah, somebody, I was talking to somebody about that episode, and they really didn't like it. Because they were like, that's not how Vulcans are. I'm like... Okay, I get it you didn't watch Enterprise, but, like, uh, Vulcans aren't everything they're cracked up to be. They're not one-noted characters. They're not a car... They're not perfect. They always make Vulcans out to be these perfect, like, meditative... Above it. They're like, they treat them like the elves from Lord of the Rings. As an Andorian. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to put in for the record. Speak your, your piece, pink skin. Uh, Sarek had a very obvious and debilitating human fetish, and no one really talked about that too much. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. I'm just saying, besides Tuvok, yeah. Vulcans can bite me. I don't care. Okay. Tuvok's an angel and doesn't have done anything wrong. Oh, but. yes. We know. Um, what about their uh, sad episode? I mean, In the Pale Moonlight is obviously a really well-written, uh, really interesting Masterpiece, episode yeah. for a lot of reasons, you know. But which one is, like, you, the you way- know? Mm-hmm. I mean, Far Beyond the Stars, I think. God really- damn it, that was my next one! <laughs> oh, you it, was every- it was everybody's, but I think we all have, like, multiple, yeah. so it's like, yeah. well, you know, I'm doing, trying to pick Because my one. research is so in- involved in, like, the history of science fiction and, like diversity within science fiction. I think that one just really, it's very me. It speaks to a lot of the things mm-hmm. that I try to right. consider in my studies. So, mm-hmm. You. God damn it. Okay. Um, you get sloppy thirds, Godiva. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can dig it. Um, 
That what my happy episode has to be the one where uh, Jake and Nog go around collecting shit. For, it's like in the this cards. Ch- in oh, the yes. cards. Oh, yeah. yeah. The guy with so the cellular weird. entertainment machine. I loved it. Who starts dating Wei Yun at the end? Of yeah. The episode. yeah. Yeah. Is that what happened? Oh, there's a little shot of Context. him putting Wei Yun in the little oh. in the, in the, uh, entertainment machine. All right, entertainment <laughs> machine. <laughs> 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 My favorite scene probably is when Nog has to sneak into his future stepmom's room to steal a teddy bear out of her hands while she's sleeping. I think it's so so fucking funny. Oh, my God. I don't know. Everybody just smiling at the end. The first, because, like, that whole season, everybody was sad. The war was going on. Obviously, you're going to be sad. People are dying left and right. And uh, I don't know. Yeah, that whole season was kind of a downer a little bit, which it had to be. It was great writing. And then that episode comes in and it's just like, we're going to cheer everybody up. And Mm -hmm. it was so cute. I was scrolling through the episodes because I was trying to find a good stopping point for the night. Because my girlfriend and I were watching the end of season five, and I'm like, oh my god. There's no way we can end on a happy episode for, like, half a season, because they're all devastating. Yeah. And then that one pops up. Oh. All right. Did you say a sad episode? I'm, you guys have already said all my sad episodes. There right? are so many sad episodes. You have a plethora of Can voices. I say sad as in disappointing? Uh, any episode where uh, Bashir has his fix-it fetish going on? Yeah. That's mm-hmm. just, like, I watched that episode, and I'm like, dude... Really? Are you talking about the ones where he has this? Uh, where he like sees somebody sees a that woman he should who needs to, yeah, yeah, that he uh, should fix, and he's like, oh, let me. Uh... Oh, like the floaty gal. Yeah, the floaty gal, and then that uh, other the um, the other augment. Yeah. I haven't watched those episodes because the minute Just they started, don't. I hated them so much I skipped them. Like the, so the characters fair. were so obnoxious, I was like, mm, I have better things to do, and I. I will never watch them. I'm sure they have names other than Floaty Gal and Autistic Gal, but I can't remember them for the life of me right now. No, shh, 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 shh it's okay. Okay. <laughs> Everybody knows what uh, we're talking about. Laura, I think, is Floaty Gal, ah, okay, I want to yeah. say. Mute that out, Godiva. We can't have their name. No. <laughs> and uh, the other augment starts with an S. Or what about how there was an entire group of dudes who were horny for Jadzia after she died and they got on the spaceship and fucking tagged along with Warfers? Funeral. Well, it was a whole thing. To get her Stovacor. Stovacor, yeah. Oh. And he's oh, like, well, I have the hot right. too. Can I come along? Well, so did I. Can I come along? It's like, just because you want to dip doesn't mean you have to go on the super personal journey that Worf is trying to. And the, and the fact that they, <laughs> and they, they used her death to make Bashir and Quark back, like, into Dax again when they were yeah. both way over it. And yeah. it's like, hello? They had that cute moment where they, like, uh, what was the situation where shit was happening and Bashir had to pull Jadzia into a corridor and they had this huge moment of just like yeah, waiting for like somebody to rescue him yeah. and they were hugging and it's like you know I'm glad we got over our thing I'm your best friend I love you and yeah. it was great and, and then suddenly love- season 7 well, I'm horny again <laughs> <laughs> oh Ezra's my chance to fuck Jadzia when I couldn't fuck Jadzia like oh Julian God. I wanted to punch Quark in the face as much as Julian was bet you 20 bucks I bang her first shut up dude Quark and Odo are only valid when they're in scenes together. If yeah. they start talking to anybody else, I'm like, please stop speaking. <laughs> stop doing that. I like I like Quark's friendship with Jetsia too, but when he talks about her when she's not there, it's terrible. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was raised in such a creepy. He was raised to be a creep, and so I was Rom. But Rom is a comrade. <laughs> yeah, but Rom's a sweetie. I love him so, much. Um, so those are my sad episodes. I watch them. I'm like, oh god, why did anybody decide to make this? <laughs> so sad. As we've been talking, I've been thinking long and hard about what to choose. Long and hard. Long and hard. <laughs> um, and I'm a five year old at heart. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. Well, we knew. I, I picked ones in my head that weren't popular, just you know, to be 
Um, for happy. Was that a dab? How dare you <laughs> bring a dab how, into this studio? Is that how you dab? I don't I thought, know. I thought being away from my 13-year-old brother might, I wouldn't have to deal with it. <laughs> I feel like you have it. I feel like you've got it down. My, my arms are too short and stubby for I, it to look decent. Well, I took a professional dabbing class. <laughs> oh. Is that in a, like the, the new white guy improv thing, like the, the professional dabbing, dabbing oh, no, class? No, no, no. You need a tutor. You this costs $9,500. Oh. I can dab with the best of them now. Was it done by your high, old high school classmate that you haven't talked to in years? And it's a dabbing pyramid scheme. No, no, we got an Instagram star in from Los Angeles for it. Okay. I'm going to keep it real. If any city was going to actually offer dabbing classes, it would be Los Angeles. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, okay. Um, Bada bing, bada bang. Uh, The casino episode. Love it. That is a good episode. I've rewatched that episode. If you know me, you know I cosplayed. Waitress Esri. Uh, and you rocked it. Yeah, I was great. It was. Mm. And Nicole, Nicole still remembers me from it. She, you did Butch. Uh, I Esri. did. Yeah. Well, Esri. Yeah. As best as I could do it. Yeah. I had yeah. With a tutu. Yeah. Really great uh, trill spots and everything. That was, was a great one. Was... Had Christopher Sarandon. I did those spots on my girlfriend because she was closet cosplaying Jedzia, and someone thought it was a stencil. I'm like, no, I just drew that. <laughs> I'm just not good. Had Christopher Sarandon. <laughs> <laughs> he was the Elorian guy. Who? Christopher the, Sarandon, the guy who was Prince Humperdinck and uh, Princess Oh, yes, Bride. yes, yes. Okay, and thank you. And he was Jack Skellington's speaking voice. And yeah, and nobody ever knows that. He was in Chucky. I don't remember yes, which one. Yes, he was the detective in the Chucky. The detective in Chucky. Oh, man. He's the one who has the gambling machine, right? And yeah, tries to put Cross the, out of business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. That's such a good... I don't know. It's just so fun. It's And I love that they address, like... Cisco being like the '60s was like a really racist time, so I wouldn't like it. That was that was such an that was such a good way to address it and not being like blind to the flaws of the time period. I think it was smart. I have a really I haven't, I haven't started writing it yet, but at some point I want to write an essay with my friend who she wants to write stuff with me. I think it's gonna be great. Right. I'm really interested in Cisco as a person who is both out of time as like a pro born to the prophets to be this kind of a prophet out of time himself and also very invested in time and in history. Yeah. I think there's something really interesting about that. Mm. Well, I'd be curious to see what you wrote. I will let you know when I publish it. Um, and then the serious one was Call to Arms because that's probably one of the mm. best Star Trek episodes written. It, as far as setting up a season goes that's like masterful that's so many threads just starting and ending and just setting up and it's such a good drama and i was going to pick um far beyond the stars but someone picked it already so uh you know you know more than one person can have a favorite episode that's true no you can't no it's not allowed <laughs> okay. i claimed it's it so sorry everybody so <laughs> well, yeah sorry dear no, listeners you have to pick a new favorite call to arms <laughs> is a good one so, what's the episode i think it's in season two where it's like they they travel it back in time and they're in like um a sectioned off part of a city oh future tense something like that past tense yeah that's a good one too that was the one you really wanted to talk to ira about in vegas this past year right I, is that you? I don't, maybe, I don't know. I can never get the courage to talk to Ira. I always see him. I'm like, <sighs> he's very, <sighs> just like, he's very, he, he seems very intimidating, but he's been very friendly every time I've talked I to him. I just don't want to cry in front of Ira Bear. That's fair. That's actually, because <laughs> like fair. every time I tried to like think about it, I was like, oh my God, he's so, he's my biggest hero. Uh, next year, I'll probably get really drunk and then, <laughs> then go. We'll do it. We'll pull it off. It'll be great. Could you cry in front of Rick Berman? Well, that'd be for a different reason, I think, (laughs) crying in front of Rick Berman. Rick Berman doesn't go to cons, does he? 
I don't think I've seen him there. Ron I think he's worried there, about right? getting punched if he goes to a Star Trek convention. Oh, are we allowed to yeah. talk about punching him? Oh, good. oh, man, I would punch him in a heartbeat. Oh, thank God. God I was dick. worried. I was like, how am I Am I allowed to oh, go no, fuck there? Rick. It's yeah, fine. Yeah. For real. The Battlestar Galactica fans will probably punch him, too. So he should steer clear of any, oh, any comment. Battlestar oh, Galactica, girl, what do you do for me? <laughs> huh? Oh, the, the ending. It was just... Ah. My science fiction <laughs> class got real mad about the ending of Battlestar Galactica this past week. It's just like, like if they guys. chopped off the last 20 minutes of Battlestar Galactica on the last episode, it would have been fine. And then it just keeps going and it ruins everything. See, the key is wow. to re-edit it and do a fan re-release. Uh, the, the real ending. The fans have to do all the work. The fans right have to do all the work. I think... Speaking of fan-created content, yeah. it's such a pain in the ass how much CBS like won't let you do shit with Star Trek. Yeah. You know? Because like there was that one film... JG was involved with it. Axonar. That's yeah. the one, yeah. Why won't they let anyone make oh, anything Axenar interesting? Oh, Axonar such a... <laughs> I think that was uh, the people who were making it's problem, too, because they were soliciting a lot of money from people. I'm sure it was, but, like, still. CBS needs to calm it down a little bit. So I wish CBS would stop making whittle? so many, like, 65 up aiming cop dramas. <laughs> Cut it out, CBS. Look, Don't got... watch my favorite shows. Do you want some quarters? <laughs> some weirdness? Do you have the hard cam or the hard caramel yet, or what? No one's bought any for Look, me. If you buy me Werther's, I will give you Werther's. <laughs> they, they let Scott Bakula finally be on a show that made it to 100 episodes. So oh, I the forget them. New Orleans? Yeah. He's well, sexy in that. Can I just yeah, say? Yeah, no, you're right. Like, when is he hello? not sexy? Anyway. Well, because he was on Colbert pretty recently, and he said that I think Quantum Leap made it to 97-ish, and Enterprise had 98-ish, but he never made it to 100, and finally he's going to have 100 episodes. And I was oh, like, I'm so him. happy for you. Scott Bakula. I wish he'd come to Vegas. He did. For the 50th, didn't he? Anybody know? He wasn't there the two years I've been there. No, the 50th And those are the only years I know, matter, but, I, so. but I want him when I'm there. Oh, oh, that, anything before Dylan arrived just, <laughs> just doesn't happen. matter. It doesn't matter. No. Yeah. <laughs> Love you. They should just get everyone tangentially involved with Star Trek. Anyone who was on one awful movie or one episode, just pull them in. I mean, that's what they do now, isn't it? Oh, do they have F. Marie Abraham? For uh, just guests at conventions, or just mm-hmm. I couldn't mm. tell you they might have Academy Award winner F. Murray Abraham. Was he in Star Trek? <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, he was Nadar Ruafo in uh, Insurrection. He oh. was. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Did I ever see Insurrection? Uh, I don't remember. It's not worth it, but I'm... <laughs> I, I admit, I have not seen all the animated series. I have not seen all of the movies. Is Insurrection the one where with Kirk and Picard? Is that the one I'm thinking of? That was Generations. Insurrection is the one with Tom Hardy. It's, no, that's Nemesis. <laughs> Insurrection is the one where they Jesse, go to the planet that makes them young, and there's these like ghoulish <laughs> aliens that uh, get facelifts all the time. I don't remember and they that. build a giant satellite to take all the young-making particles out of the atmosphere. See, that's why I haven't seen it. Probably is the way what you're describing <laughs> sounds awful. I like first contact and first contact. Nothing good. else um, for the moment. No, I like and beyond. I like the whale one. The whales. The whales. Oh, the whales good. Beyond, is, beyond good. is good. Yeah. Oh, let's talk shit about dark into darkness. Anybody? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm so, always so kind of similar to uh, to help <laughs> us jumped into that. Sorry. Go ahead. To help. All right, so when we wrapped up our last podcast, I uh, celebrated by having a few drinks with my buddy John, who had a few stories to tell me about Star Trek and its fandom back in the day. 
So if you want to join us for a couple of drinks, stay tuned. I totally also didn't have to call into work hungover the next day after that interview. Just putting that out there. Phil and John, we're drinking rum and cokes, and we're talking about Star Trek conventions. All bourbon. right, bourbon. Bourbon. Oh, I'm so sorry. We're no drinking problem. bourbon and coke. I know you had mentioned that you don't really like to go to conventions. Well, I don't like to go to the big Comic Con type conventions that are there only to make money. Yeah. I, I prefer the the old fashioned fan run conventions where you actually get to interact with the stars and your friends, and you're not just waiting in line all day. Do they still have those? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, I go to a couple each year in Baltimore. I haven't been to any of the huge ones. Yeah. Um, you know, when we started out, it was definitely all fan run, but some were huge. I mean, by our standards. Right. A couple thousand people. Um, Kansas City, St. Louis, slightly smaller one in Joplin, Mo. All of them were run by, you know, con committees, which was a group of local Star Trek fans who put it together. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, like, the late 80s that you ran into the so-called creation conventions and a couple of other companies that at some point during Next Gen, we're doing three a weekend somewhere in the country. I mean, three teams out in the country running conventions. So it was, you know, just a... A lot of conventions. A lot of conventions, <laughs> yeah. That's what I should say. But it had none of the fan aspects. It was yeah. like a mainstream of programming, a second stream of programming, if you were lucky, and that was it. The amazing thing about the fan-run ones is they were usually in a hotel that was expansive. There would be a mainstream of programming. There would be two to eight other things going on and do addition to a huge dealer's room and then you'd go to the far reaches of the hotel and they'd be screening movies yeah there's something no going idea on. what it was yeah lots of things going on all the time the celebrities like still go to the smaller fan conventions anymore yes oh. i feel like it's back there was there was definitely an era where at least one of the companies signed exclusivity deals so at some point when you're doing three a weekend you can sit there and say i will guarantee you the number of dates a year you want, right. 16 or 20, and once they guaranteed them that, that they made it exclusive. And that went on for a while, and then finally there was some blowback, meaning that either the fans weren't happy or the stars weren't happy for various reasons, like suddenly little mom-and-pop conventions couldn't get their favorite star, they're like, I can't, I find a deal that's exclusive. So I think that came around, and people realized that there was more appeal in knowing what you were booking. You yeah. know, both as a mom-and-pop convention or as a star that you weren't committed to right. a certain number of dates. Plus, the show got less popular than it was when it was next-gen. Yeah, it went through a little bit of a lull. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think I think another big change was when they started charging for autographs. Because oh, they didn't absolutely. used to do that. They yeah. didn't really? used to do that. No, they just had an autograph table, and they would hope that you'd buy one of their pictures oh. for them to sign. But you could come up there and say just sign my arm and they do it they're fine the biggest variable in the big fan run conventions was you might skip two hours including like the people you wanted to see speaking to go get in the autograph line for Leonard Nimoy and then you had no guarantee that that line would go long enough for you to actually get an autograph right amazingly frequently it did so if you went to the big convention in St. Louis in 82 84 maybe um, sure enough if you got in line for Leonard Nimoy he finally worked the line while somebody else was sitting down and was signing stuff, finishing up the line so everybody would get a signature. But that was part of the base deal. Yeah. Because yeah. you knew that if you got in the line, you would almost certainly get a, get a signature. Or if they cut the line, they would have some systems for people to come back the next day who would not gotten one. How did you guys get started in conventions? 
I know when I started watching Star Trek, but I don't know when you started. I've always watched Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know a time where I. So this is this is sacrilege to people older than us. But I know for a fact I started watching the animated series in 1973. I actually really love the animated series. And we, it's really <laughs> it's so, good too. It's like it's really good, but it's also like so cheesy. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, oh yeah. But then I would go I'm out sure to the I playground before that because yeah. I, I know I started with the original series. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't still on the air. Right. right. It was. What, 11 15 at night on channel 13 10 15 central 10 15 oh, yeah, that's right 11 11 15 was space 1999 when you start watching in 73 ish and then you start going to conventions there is even that scant gap the old guard mm-hmm. and there are people at conventions going you didn't see them first run yeah oh. and the big deal is strip syndication was in production order not air date order so the people who'd oh. seen the original run from 66 right. to 69 is like, you're seeing it all wrong. <laughs> and it's like, we're seeing them in the numbers that are on the films from right. you know, the production. But there's things like Court Martial and Menagerie being right in a row when we watched them. And they weren't yeah. right in a row when they were originally broadcast. And so the people who lived through 66 to 69 would hold over your head as someone who started in 73. We wrote the letters <laughs> you're okay. to get the third year. <laughs> right. And you're like, who's sorry I didn't start watching until 73 and it was deader than dead by then. Yeah. Phantom yeah. Wars or an Eagles yeah. thing. But the playground was, I started watching animated and you go to the playground, these other kids watching animated and you're like, you had to watch the real one. And so you had to stay up in our market till 10, 15 at right. night after the only 15 minute late local news to then watch this rerun show. So that's how I started. Unless there was a basketball game. And then you're like, is it ever coming on? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Except there, there was that one time where the basketball game was preempted by Star Trek. Yeah. And the city went, oh, there were letters. The Mizzou basketball fans just did not care for the fact that the last five minutes of their game were taken away so they could watch Captain Kirk. Well, you know what? They're going to have to deal with it. And as far as like conventions, where did you guys start out at? Kansas City. All his fault. I, I started I started uh, the Columbia Star Trek Fan Club in Columbia, Missouri. Nice. And one of our goals was to go to a convention. That was our first convention that we went to and drug a bunch of people there. It was fun. You guys save up your lunch money? And... Yeah. yeah. Basically. Basically. We were some seriously organized 13, 15-year-olds. Yeah, we seriously. Had about 14 or 15 people go. We're meeting once a month at the Columbia Public Library. And we organized this group of people who were like, well, we do want to go. And then we organized the chaperones. Yeah, because our parents didn't want to go. Yeah. And so I would go, I would go around my, the junior high to teachers that I knew liked Star Trek. And I said, hey, we're going to the Star Trek convention. Will you drive? And talk to Bill Moyes. Bill talked, Moyes. Talked him into it. And yeah. I forget who, who's the other chaperone. We got one parent, I think. Yeah. I well, then my parents were unofficial because they drove us. But, oh, that's right. But we had the caravans figured out. I don't know what the heck we were thinking as 14-year-olds, 13-year-olds, but we calculated what gas was going to cost and yeah. figured out how much oh everybody God. had to put in a pool so we could buy gas for the four cars. Right. So everybody could plan that. We had a roadway in. Mm-hmm. We booked rooms in, and we calculated down to right. like the cent, right. you know, how much everybody had to pay for the hotel I think, room. I think I remember even calling and saying, we need a block of rooms. Can we get a discount? Exactly. And, yeah, and I was, what, eighth grade at the time? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God, I love it. And then we had this fleet of people go up in four cars right, and then go to this convention. And the thing that's unbelievable to me as a 12-year-old, I have an identical twin brother, so it was the two of us. Our parents drove us up there, and the Glenwood Manor was this giant hotel yeah. by a huge 
then standards, and our parents would pitch us out at 9.30 in the morning, pick us up around 5, because the programming kind of ended at 5, there'd be a gap, and there would be the stuff at night, so we'd go eat dinner and come back. I'm like, I would not pitch my own 12 or 13-year-old out at a convention center for 8, 9, 10 hours in yeah. modern day, and we just did this. Yeah. And had a blast, and were adopted by people in their 20s, 30s, 40s. Yeah, we were taken care of. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. we were in the community. There was a giant family. And, you know, me and folks in the car that I went up with, you know, our parents were like, yeah, just go go for the weekend. No problem. No problem. You'll be fine. That is one thing, like, I totally love, though, about Star Trek convention in Las Vegas, is that as soon as I went, there was, like, this whole little community of, like, nerds. I didn't have that. I was, like, totally alone until, like, August of 2017. (laughs) <laughs> as far as like the celebrity interactions, what was that? Well, the, the conventions were set up in such a way where you had a lot more access. Uh, like they would have a Sunday brunch. It wouldn't be like the stars would come and sit at a table and you can, you know, watch them over there. They just grabbed a plate and sat at whatever table they did. I had brunch with John Delancey and Jonathan Frakes. And... Well, so clear back to the 70s. The crazy thing was there was a woman named Kay Johnson who was oh, yeah. Mama Star Trek and a lady named Anna Reha. And it was one of our early connections, first, second, third. And Anna Reha was the organizer of the Jimmy Doohan International Fan Club. Oh, I remember So her. if you paid your dues, which was something trivial, like $5 a year, you got this thick monthly journal of fan fiction and, quote, news and all this stuff. Yeah. news about and what And then you got like. to go to the convention party for Jimmy Doohan. And so Anna Reha, as the head of this fan club, would then invite the other stars. So more often than not, we would be in a hotel room or a double hotel room. And if the conventions, that convention was Jimmy Doohan and Grace Lee Whitney... You would end up in a room with like 30 people and Jimmy doing a Grace Lee Whitney. Yeah. And they would tell some stories and every single person in the room would go out around and introduce themselves. And those women, Anna Reha and Kay Johnson, adopted us. And they're like, well, you need to join you know, for $5. And my brother and I were identical twins. And Kay's like, well, we'll let you two join for one price. <laughs> and at the time, growing up in central Missouri, all I know is that envelope came once a month with that big fat journal in it yeah. from Anna Reha. With some crazy, way out return address, Seattle. Earlier this year, I went and visited Anna Rea's grave because she was in Seattle. And so all the time those journals were coming from Seattle, I had no idea that 40 years later I would live there. Yeah, the, the Jimmy Doon fan club was, yeah, it connected us pretty well. Because I, I went to one of those parties and then went back to Jimmy and Wendy's room because he had to go get ready to talk on the main stage. And Wendy's like, well, I'd like to go with you, but i got to watch Chris. And I'm like... I'll watch Chris. I'll watch Chris. <laughs> so I, I ended up not seeing Jimmy speak that day, but I babysat Chris doing that. <laughs> That's so funny. Who's now in fan film playing his dad's character. Right. Yeah. I always wondered how, like, how, like, top shelf do you have to be to get, like, the Star Trek actors and their kids and stuff in your fan films? You know what I mean? Because they show up in quite a few, like, I think they all, I think they you all just, want work. I mean, they <laughs> just need to be reasonable and personable. Yeah. In, in that same vein, when you were talking about the 50th, I did go to what was then EMP, it's changed names, in Seattle for the 50th. And I walk in, and I read what's going on, and there's like three people in Star Trek jackets over there. Like, all right, there's people here. <laughs> My people are here. And I make a loop to see what's going on, and I come back, and the three people in Star Trek jackets are Wendy doing her sister and her daughter. Oh my god. And the Star Trek jackets are the real live Jimmy's Star Trek Four satin jacket with the logo of the Bird of Prey and all that stuff on it. Nice. Like his velvet item from that movie. And I forget what the third one was. I'm like, this isn't just three fans. 
This is Jimmy's wife, sister-in-law, and daughter. So there's an aspect of fandom that permeates both the actors and their families mm -hmm. in yeah. this case. And it's like, we're all here for the same reason. And it's the love of this show. Right. One of the best things about the original series is they didn't have any money. But there's on-screen moments where, like, Chekhov is at Spock's station for some reason. Like, Spock's incapacitated. Yeah. And then Kirk motions over to the helm. And then Chekhov runs over to the helm to drive when the, you know, the <laughs> battle gets fierce or something. And it's only because Bob Jessman didn't want to pay a second actor to speak a line when he could just pay an extra to be a dummy. Right. And so you have this folklore of Star Trek, which is, well, Chekhov is so good, he... Covers Spock Station when he needs to, but he goes back to driving when he gets tense. But there <laughs> no, was, it's just because Bob Jessman's cheap. <laughs> there was a pressure to the creativity that made those people seem like they both were good at their jobs, mm -hmm. but over and over again would challenge each other. Right. Because who wants to be in a room with a bunch of people who are just like, oh, you're great. Hey, as far as your guys' role in like being active members of the convention community, John, you've organized conventions. I've organized, well, I organized a convention that we didn't actually complete, <laughs> but we had stars signed up. We had, but we had, we had Walter Koenig and I want to say DeForest Kelly. Can't remember Jeff yeah, East. Jeff East, yeah. yeah, Jeff East, young Superman at the time. Yeah, we had we had we had several stars, but we just couldn't pull it together at the last minute. In terms of pre-range, how are you involved at conventions? I will say, how are you involved at conventions? And at conventions in the eighties, late eighties, early nineties, when Next Gen was still going on, on two different occasions, people I know who are writers are like, I'm working on my writing because I definitely want to submit for Star Trek because right. I had an open submission policy. And in two cases, James E. Brooks, not to be confused with the really famous guy from Taxis, <laughs> Taxi, and another guy named Tim DeHaas. Uh, Jim Brooks ended up selling a story idea called Rightful Heir, and Tim DeHaas ended up selling more than one story idea, but a story idea called Identity Crisis, both of which were Next Generation episodes. And in both cases, my brother and I, who are not writers, are at these conventions, meeting these people through friends for the first time, and they're talking about writing. I specifically remember reading Jim's work. I remember a little less so reading Tim's. But in both cases, we're like, this show is not going to run forever. <laughs> I'm working on my writing. Send it in. Yeah. <laughs> and they both did, yeah. and they both had produced Star Trek before yeah. Next Gen stopped. Yeah. Yeah. So I believe that's my impact on the show right yeah. there. Can we like pause and like, yeah. yeah? Cool. All right, thank you. And tell us to shut up. Pre glimpse of the actual story. Okay. Gene Ronberry's Ashes rode in the back of Pet's car while he was driving driving Majel to her hotel. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on. After no. <laughs> God damn it. After Gene Roddenberry just got back from being in space. <laughs> Is that like the best story ever? Good. Hold on. What, ha what happened? Hmm? What, what happened? What were we talking about? What's going on? Uh, did you see The Simpsons last night? <laughs> oh my god, yeah! <laughs> 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 Well, you got any more stories you want to tell? Uh, tons. <laughs>
But you're gonna make me late. No, oh, yeah, of course. God damn. <laughs> And we'll be back at the beginning of next month to finish off these interviews. This is me, Godiva Lee. I'm Joseph Detour. Thanks for tuning in and get tricked.
All right, what do we got next? Let's hop right into it. <laughs> 